Hey, Moonshot listeners, before we start the episode, I want to remind you all about our brand new Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash moonshot. We spend about 40 hours on every episode of this show. We do a lot of research, we organize interviews, there's production, scripting and fact-checking, editing and mixing. There's a lot that goes into making every episode of Moonshot. So by supporting us on Patreon, you'll enable us to increase the audio quality and frequency of the production, providing more depth to our storytelling and allowing us to provide jobs to more journalists. All patrons will gain access to an ad-free feed of the podcast. Plus, we'll be bringing you special bonus content. We've got pricing tiers starting from just $3 per month. Plus, we have merch to give out. You can get stickers and t-shirts for supporting us on Patreon. I'm really excited about the future of the podcast, and I do hope you consider supporting us. That link was patreon.com slash moonshot. You'll find a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Now, on with the show. It's that moment that we all dread. You're cycling, or perhaps you're riding a motorbike. Maybe you're skiing. And then something goes wrong. You find yourself flying through the air, and then bang! You hit the tarmac, or the ground, with force. And it's at this moment that you probably wished you were wearing a helmet. The science is clear. Wearing a helmet can save your life. But for generations, the humble helmet has looked pretty much the same. However, new materials, along with artificial intelligence and augmented reality, is allowing the humble helmet the possibility of a major advancement. And in this episode of Moonshot, we're diving into this new helmet tech to see what the helmet of the future will actually look like. How focused do you feel right now? Do you sleep well? Do you feel stressed? Distracted? Are you ready to make a split-second decision? Are you sure? In 2017, Ford announced that they'd been working on a new kind of helmet, specifically for racing drivers, one which could measure the electrical signals in your brain and then relay that information to a driver's team, allowing them to help fine-tune performance. Because winning can be determined by how focused you are. It's really a mind game. Through this groundbreaking technology, we now have the ability to work with a whole new set of metrics. These findings have the potential to be applied to people everywhere, and we're just scratching the surface. And it's this type of technology that has the possibility of really changing the way that we think about the helmet. And it's not just restricted to high-performance racing drivers. This technology means to have more... Uh, more safety, more information, more connectivity when you are driving and the helmet becomes more because all these technologies around to you through the augmented reality in your visor. You, know, you don't need to use your hands when you are driving and the helmet becomes something more than a helmet. It's a smart helmet. This is Ivan Contreras, the CEO of Scully Technologies, a company manufacturing smart helmets for motorcycles. The helmets feature a heads-up display, a blind spot camera, visual and audio navigation, along with phone connectivity. It's an augmented reality-like experience right there in your helmet. The augmented reality in this moment works in a micro display. 
but that needs to be in development for the next year with different platforms, uh, uh, doing with another kind of micro display, with better image, with different technologies that improve the augment reality experience, because you need to be very focused with the driving. And the augment reality in this case, in this helmet, that uh, doesn't, doesn't need to be very distraction. That needs to help, no distraction. And this is why it's very important, the augment reality in a specific position of the view. Scully was founded by brothers Marcus and Mitch Weller back in 2013, and in 2014 they launched an Indiegogo campaign to raise money to put their AR1 smart helmet into production. The campaign was a hit, and the company raised more than 2.4 million US dollars. At the time, it was the most successful technology crowdfunding campaign on the Indiegogo platform. However, like many product-based campaigns, things quickly started going wrong. Scully struggled to get their helmets to market. They raised more money and still couldn't deliver, which in July of 2016 resulted in both brothers being fired from the company by their investors. A few weeks later, one of their employees filed a lawsuit claiming the founders spent company money recklessly on personal items. And on August 5, 2016, the company informed their supporters that they'd be shutting down. And it seemed at that point like the company was done. But that wasn't the end of Scully's story. And that's when Ivan comes in. Ivan and his cousin Raphael had a history of buying old motorcycle brands and turning them around. And in Scully, they saw an opportunity. So in 2017, Ivan acquired all the assets of the Scully business and immediately got to work on finishing the helmets and getting them ready for production. And then in 2018, started shipping helmets to the original backers. They didn't have to do this, but they recognised that there was a brand around Scully and a community of people ready to support them. When I saw the opportunity to have Scully into my uh, companies, uh, to have some acquisition of Scali or some deal with Scali, that that was like a, like a big spark. I can use the the helmet as the platform of connectivity with the, for the driver, and that that was my drive uh, motive to to acquire Scali and to bring Scali into the market. What why? Because uh, I think we can help the the drivers. We can help the people just to be. Uh, I can tell you, better drivers uh, when you are driving, because that can help a lot into your driving system. That Scully in the future can help to be more, more could be, uh, we, we, we call superhumans. We can, Scully with the technology can bring to you more than human, because the capabilities of the human, in, in this moment, the capabilities of the drivers are what they are. And with this technology around you, you can improve your capabilities when you are driving or when you are doing anything. And that's, that's the philosophy and the vision of the new Scully. In 2018, the new Scully shipped 400 helmets. And in 2019, they're hoping to ship 3,000. It's a huge turnaround for a company that has struggled for many years. And right after this break, we'll take a look at what the future looks like for Scully. And also, what if your helmet looked nothing like a helmet at all? That's coming up. 
Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And Scully is certainly a new and revitalised business, working on some fascinating helmet technology. And they're currently working on future designs of their helmets. They're already thinking about ways to improve the user experience and improve the AR capabilities. And one of the key areas of interest right now is communication, especially as many phone providers are starting to roll out 5G technology. It opens up the capability of what's possible on these helmets. Into the smart helmet, the technologies that uh, we are uh, with some influence in this moment is how how to be connect with another uh, riders out of the 5G because the the 5G is coming into the market very hard and in our helmet. Uh, you have an M2M car, that's a SIM car that you can be connected directly. It's like a smartphone. The smart helmet is like a smartphone. You don't need, in the future, you are not going to use a smartphone to use the smart helmet, our Scali. That's one of the important things. With the 5G, you need to be ready with a lot of information, a lot of more navigation apps into the smart helmet whatever ecosystem that you can build around. That's uh, one of the important things coming and be ready for the 5G. That's a communication system. Another one is the, uh, is the heads-up display. The heads-up display is the part where the user is connected with our system, with our software. And this heads-up display needs to, to be, we, we need to be very aware what is happening to the market with new suppliers, new startups, what they are developing and how we can add into our system. We have two main boards into the helmet. One is in the back and the other one is in the front. In the front, And we have two chips inside the helmet that have some kind of control. Another one is the battery system because the battery uh, allows you to drive fast uh, five hours with the helmet with no charge. We are using some extra charge just for battery and you can use when you are driving but in the future these these batteries needs to evolve and we need to be uh, aware what is happening with the battery just to have more uh, autonomy more rider experience and that's that's the three technologies that we are taking care scully's approach to motorcycle helmets is interesting and they say they've built a platform which could be adapted for other applications but the truth is, the Scully helmet visually looks like almost any other motorbike helmet. And if you look at helmets for cycling, they've looked the same for generations. But what if your helmet didn't actually look like a helmet at all? Peter works on the Hufdings algorithms. It's up to him to make sure it's properly collecting data so it knows when to pop. This is audio from the television series Daily Planet, and they're looking specifically at a new kind of helmet. It's called the Hovding, and on first glance, it's hard to see why anyone would consider it a helmet, because the truth is, it's actually an airbag that you strap to your neck, and utilising a bunch of motion sensors similar to your smartphone, the Hovding determines whether you're about to crash, and if you are, it rapidly deploys an airbag helmet around your head. It does this 200 times every second. It, it checks the sensor data, well, do I have an accident? And then it determines whether it should deploy or not. 
The halving costs the equivalent of 330 US dollars, and once it's deployed, you'll need to buy a new one. But if you're someone who doesn't like wearing a helmet, it could be a good alternative that might save your life. Regular helmets are not particularly fashionable, and the halving also struggles in the looks department. But there are companies that believe you can have that vital head protection without sacrificing on style. The Anti-Ordinary A1 is the world's first truly soft and safe helmet. This is a Kickstarter video from Australian startup Anti-Ordinary, which is hoping to change the way that we think about helmets with a particular focus on snow sports. The company is creating beanies, which are made out of non-Newtonian materials, so they're soft to the touch, but on impact will turn hard. So uh, they use it a lot in things like back protectors for motorbike riders and knee protectors as well. Uh, the problem with them by themselves though, is they're not actually good enough to make a helmet out of because they turn too hard and it's like headbutting concrete. So we've actually uh, created some intellectual property around the way that we layer this, the helmet up. And so in the different layers that we have, it allows it to contract enough and harden enough so that it's still really safe for the head while still being sort of form-fitting and soft at the same time. This is Anti-Ordinary co-founder Rob Joseph, who came up with the idea of creating a safer beanie after being involved in an accident at the snow. Uh, well, I was actually skiing in Queenstown, um, and being a Queensland boy, I've always worn a helmet, always ridden motorbikes and pushbikes and wakeboarded, all that kind of thing, and um, always worn a helmet happily. But then when I got to the slopes, I actually took my, hum- my helmet off because I found it really annoying, and it was the same helmet that I'd used for most other sports. So... Um, I found it really annoying and I took it off and I had a bit of a crash and, and realised it was really dumb to not wear a helmet. But a lot of people were doing it. You look out and you see a lot of the professionals and, and punters as well just not wearing helmets because they can be quite frustrating and annoying to use. And uh, we saw that as a problem and, and we had a bit of a look around and realised that everyone who wasn't wearing a helmet actually wore a beanie instead. So we started there and we thought instead of trying to make helmets incrementally more comfortable, um, we'd make a beanie um, safer. When you look at the anti-ordinary beanie helmet, it does look very much like a beanie. However, Rob says it's much thicker due to the layering of materials. It also includes a chin strap so the beanie won't fall off on impact. And it seems people really love the idea. The company ran a Kickstarter earlier this year, raising 207,000 Australian dollars, which is equivalent to around 142,000 US. The goal is to make it sort of as unremarkable as a helmet as you can get, I guess. It, it looks like a beanie. Uh, we are on the slopes a couple of weeks ago in New Zealand, actually, and it was funny, we didn't really get recognised as being a helmet at all. So it, it's trying to be a little bit incognito, uh, looking great, um, but the big thing is that it feels great at the same time too. And after this quick break, we'll talk to Rob about some of the challenges with delivering a new product to market, along with the future of their helmet technology. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And when it comes to helmets, 
the anti-ordinary beanie is certainly right out there with the most unusual. The company is still a startup, and it's worth mentioning that they haven't yet shipped any products. But the latest update to backers said the beanies would be shipping in January of 2020. Now, product companies are notoriously hard to launch, as evidenced by the first iteration of Scully. There are always considerations that the founders never think of, which is why so many of them fail after receiving their Kickstarter funding. Anti do have real prototypes, which is why I certainly believe they'll be shipping their beanies. And like every hardware company, Rob says that Anti is having to deal with the complications that arise as you look to move from a prototype up to a full-scale production. There's been a lot. Um, hardware is tough at the best of times, and we're doing things that nobody's really ever done before on a scale that is, is a lot bigger than most would expect. So it's difficult finding the right people to do it, but that's quite a while. And now that we have the right people to do it, it's working through the processes that nobody's really used before to make a helmet. So it's kind of innovating not only in the products, but in the manufacturing and the way we get it to market as well. Um, it's sort of a, a helmet that fits everyone really well. So the old distribution model might be a little bit different for us in, in getting it out there and getting it on people's heads. And as well as building trust is a large thing, you know, because most people put a helmet on and they trust it instinctively because it's the same as we've always had. And a lot of people question us about how safe it really is, which is totally fine. Um, and we can prove that it does work quite easily. But uh, until people get it on their heads, they, you know, they tend to be quite wary of it. Anti had more than 1,100 orders from their Kickstarter, which gives them some confidence about how the product will sell. Their backers have also been able to influence the overall design of the beanies and the colours they're produced in. And while the first application might be snow sports and will be certified to an international standard for snow sport helmets, Rob says they're actively thinking about other applications. But that doesn't mean that the same design can be easily translated for a different type of crash. Not all brain injuries, not all crashes are made the same. You know, for me, for a long time, particularly in my junior days, I'd wear the same helmet riding bikes as I would you know, riding a wakeboard and in snowboarding too. But the crashes between those three sports are drastically different. And so understanding what we're using these helmets for and, and what's best. You know, in, in an ideal world, uh, we'd have a different standard for different um, sports, but as well as different kinds of riding. So a lot of snowboarders have three boards, you know, a, a park board, a, you know, a groomer board and a powder board. And when you crash in those circumstances, the helmet that you need from each is also different, the performance that you need from the helmet. So ideally, people would be sort of thinking a bit more about the way they ride and where they ride and how they crash and protecting themselves in that way rather than just have a one-size-fits-all type helmet approach. So even if you want to use your helmet for snow sports, Rob believes that there should be different types of snow sport helmet designs depending on the way that you might be experiencing the snow throughout the day. If you're sort of someone who rides a lot of terrain parks or all the big jumps and rails, the likelihood is you're probably moving fairly fast. Um, the jumps and rails are pretty hard, and so it's going to be a high energy, high energy impact. However, if you're riding something like powder in New Zealand, you're more likely to have many more smaller impacts so more repeated impacts depending on how you're falling so and then there's everything in between that so if you're moving really fast hitting hard objects the protection from a helmet might be different than the one that you get from the same helmet riding powder and so there's a thing brain injuries now are getting better well known um so the cte so chronic traumatic encephalopathy i'm not very good at saying it, it's a big word um but it's essentially the 
the neurodegenerative disease that causes you sort of Alzheimer's and personality dysfunctions later in life from lots of small repeated impacts rather than the way we normally think about concussion as one big one. So now we're understanding that we also need to protect ourselves for the small impacts. So rather than using the same helmet for, say, park and powder, you'd ideally have a, a, a helmet that would be, work really well in softer conditions and another one that would work really well in the harder, faster impacts as well. Personally, I'm someone that's really excited to see the anti-ordinary product go to market, and I'll certainly be purchasing one once they're live. When I was younger, I never used to wear a helmet at the snow. I thought they were a total waste of time and were pretty expensive. But one day, I lost control and crashed into a tree. I was lucky enough that the tree had some snow coverage at the base, and I just walked away with a pretty sore nose, but it could have been so much worse. And it's since made me hyper aware of my own mortality. And I've worn a helmet at the snow ever since. And Rob says as more people become aware of the potential injuries that can occur from hitting your head, whether it's from skiing, cycling, motorbikes or something else, we'll see a lot more innovation in the helmet market. Yeah, I think as we're getting smarter and more materials are coming out and more solutions are becoming available, I think we're only just seeing the start of it. And as people start to become a little bit more um, aware of these designs, I mean, it's, happen- it's been happening in bikes for a little while now. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of different helmet designs come out of Europe in particular. But there's in nearly every helmet circumstance, there's, there's room to innovate and room to do better. And as long as all those innovations are making us safer and better for it, I, I think it's going to be a great time. It's going to be really, really interesting to see the progression of all of it in the next few years. This episode of Moonshot was hosted and edited by me, Christopher Lawson, with research from our intern, Joanne Manise. Our theme music comes from the amazing Breakmaster Cylinder, and other music in this episode was from Epidemic Sound. Our artwork is by the ever-talented Andrew Millist. And special thanks to Derek for supporting us on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, head across to patreon.com slash moonshot, and you can pick up an ad-free feed bonus content, along with some special Moonshot merch, including stickers and t-shirts. That's patreon.com slash moonshot. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening.